Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. John has uh, given to us. Uh, it is, as we have seen, filled with uh, the depth and the height and the breadth of theology with regard to the Son of God, who He is, why He came, all that He accomplished, why we should serve Him, why we should worship Him. All of these things are given to us in these first 18 verses. As we stated Sunday before last, the 14th verse, John chapter 1, verse 14, is perhaps the greatest text in all of the New Testament. There are a lot of wonderful texts in the New Testament. Uh, John 3.16, 2 Timothy 3.16, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, uh, Romans uh, 10, 9 and 10. We could go on and on and on and on about favorite texts that we have learned from and that we have enjoyed and that we have uh, declared to be our life text. But here, the 14th verse of John chapter 1 the Apostle John sums up the life of Jesus Christ in one sentence. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John, as an old man, after having spent a couple of years on the island of Patmos, had been released and went home to Ephesus, to the dear church that he had pastored for quite a number of years, to live out the remainder of his days, dying somewhere around age 92 to 94. And he penned his gospel and the three letters that are called the epistles of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and the book of the Revelation, some while he was on the island of Patmos, some after he had returned home from that prison island. But he looks back over his experiences. He looks back over the life of Jesus. And as he concludes who Jesus truly is, he focuses his attention on one word, one word that permeates the entire life of Christ. And you find that here in verses 15 through 18. Stand with me in honor of God's word. As I read, John bore witness, this is John the Baptist, bore witness of him and cried out saying, he was... This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. This is the word of God. May he add his blessing to the reading of the word. You may be seated. 
The eternal Christ, John tells us in this prologue, the eternal Christ, the Son of God, clothed himself in human flesh in the womb of Mary. He was given the name Jesus because he would save his people from their sin. Throughout his life, he revealed the perfections of God, God's love and mercy, God's power and wisdom, God's grace, and God's truth. In verse 15, John reminds us, the Apostle John reminds us that the forerunner, John the Baptist, the one whom the prophets would say would come before Jesus and prepare the hearts of the people for Jesus' appearing. This John the Baptist was a powerful and a faithful witness of these things that John has declared. And he came on the scene suddenly announcing that the kingdom of God has come and it has come through the Messiah who was soon to appear. And as he baptized Jesus in the Jordan River, as he heard the voice of the Father from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, as he saw the Holy Spirit of God descending from heaven and lighting upon Christ, John knew that this man Jesus was the Lamb of God who had come to take away the sins of the world. And after that time, John's ministry was to point the attention of everyone who would come and hear John to point their attention to Jesus. When his disciples came to him and said, Teacher, this man Jesus is growing more and more popular. And many people are starting to follow him. They were concerned that John's ministry was in competition with Jesus and losing that competition. But Jesus, excuse me, but John, full of the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, corrected his disciples and told them, He must, decre- he must increase, I must decrease. John's entire ministry was to prepare people for the coming of Christ. But the conclusion of this prologue, this introduction to the gospel, again, John focuses on one attribute of God that permeates the entire life of Jesus Christ. And that one attribute is grace. All of the perfections of God are summed up in this one marvelous attribute called grace. The entire plan of redemption, the entire plan of redemption is revealed and empowered and made effective by God's grace. We have to ask the question, what is grace? I'm sure all of us have heard the term from time to time. But what is grace? In the New Testament, the word charis is translated quite often 
as being grace, but it's also translated as blessing, as privilege, favor, goodwill, kindness, or a gift. These are also valid translations of the word charis. A common definition of grace is God's unmerited favor toward us. Sometimes we have a problem with those words. We don't really understand those words, unmerited favor. Dallas Willard, in his book on the theology of discipleship, defines grace as God acting in my life to bring about and to enable me to do what I cannot do on my own. I like that. God acting in my life to bring about and to enable me to do what I cannot do on my own. But I believe my mother said it best when she told me, Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you do not deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. And since all of us have sinned, we are all worthy of death. We stand condemned, as Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, we stand condemned in our sin. And the result of that condemnation is that we would live a hard life here that would result in physical death and then in eternity separation from God in hell forever. But God, in Christ Jesus, has extended to us mercy. And by believing in and receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we do not get what we deserve. Because God has extended to the believer grace so that we will get what we do not deserve. And that is forgiveness, peace with God, eternal life, with him in his kingdom forever. That's grace. Getting from God what we do not deserve. I want to explore this concept with us this morning in the few moments that we have. But just think about God's grace. God giving to you what you do not deserve. What are some of those things that God has extended to you that you know in your own heart and your own mind you do not deserve? Salvation. Love. Forgiveness of sin. Mercy. Fellowship with Him. Fellowship with Him. God's love for us 
is according to His grace. Amen? If God were not a gracious God, we would not know His love at all. Sending Jesus Christ to save us was according to His grace. He didn't have to, but He chose to because He loved us and didn't want us to die in our sin and be separated from Him for all eternity. And Jesus Christ Himself willingly came to be the sacrifice upon a cruel cross, shedding His blood so that our sins would be covered. That's grace. That's God's grace. Giving to us what we do not deserve. Opening our understanding to the need for repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ. Do you know that you would not know that you are a sinner in the eyes of God unless God graciously opened your eyes to that truth? If the Holy Spirit of God did not speak to you concerning your moral condition, you would be lost forever. You would not understand that there are things in your life that separate you from God. There are barriers in your life that keep you from full fellowship with God. And as long as those barriers remain, you will not fellowship with God here, nor shall you fellowship with God in the hereafter. It's the Holy Spirit of God that gives us that understanding. That's grace. Giving us faith to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is a grace of God. You do not believe because you choose to believe. You believe in Jesus Christ because God's grace compels you to believe. And then God gives you the faith to believe. Why are there people who come to church and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and go away just as lost in their sin as they were when they came? Why are there people who will open the door and listen to a gospel presentation and then close the door and return to their life as it was before they ever heard that gospel presentation. Why are there people who will read the Bible and they'll read about Jesus and they'll read about the love of God and they'll read about the forgiveness of sin and they'll read about eternal life in heaven and they'll read about the horrors of hell and separation from God and they'll close the book and say, well, it's just a compendium of ancient literature has some good things to think about, but the truth of God never impacts them. Why is that? Why is it that they don't have the kind of faith that is necessary to believe in Jesus Christ and to be saved? Because that faith to believe comes through God's grace. You believe in Christ. Not because you choose, but because he chose you and gave you the faith to believe in him. The gift of eternal life 
is by God's grace. We do not deserve any of these things. But God gives us these gifts. And he gives us these gifts because of his great love for us. Paul the Apostle wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace have you been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any person should boast. Grace and faith are gifts from God. Undeserved, unearned gifts from God. I'm not saved because I deserve to be saved. I'm not saved because I have the right to be saved. I'm not saved because mom and dad were saved. I'm not saved because I'm a member of a church or I stand behind a pulpit or I read the Bible or I pray every now and again when I'm in a pinch. I'm saved by God's grace through faith. And without God's grace through faith, no person can be saved. No person. These are God's gifts to us. Now I want you to notice in verse 16, the Apostle John said, and of his fullness, we've all received and grace for grace. A very pregnant sentence, a very profound statement. And I want to explore the depths of this statement with you here for the remainder of this sermon. I want you to note the word fullness. The Apostle John said, and of his fullness, we have all received in grace for grace. Fullness, pleroma in the Greek language, it means to make full. It means to make complete. Understand that. Write that down. Remember that. The fullness, it means to make complete. It means to fill up to the brim. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, the Apostle Paul writes, For it pleased the Father that in Him that is in Christ Jesus all the fullness should dwell. All the fullness of what? Well, the Apostle Paul goes on in chapter 2 and verse 9, he explains it, For in Him that is in Christ Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Understand that. All of the perfections of God, His essence, His character, His nature, His attributes, all that God truly is, was in and was made known to us by Jesus Christ. He is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And as John states here in verse 16, of His fullness we have received. Now, it's important to understand that, okay? It's important to understand that Jesus in the flesh is all that God is in reality. Jesus in the flesh is all that God is in reality. That's why Jesus could say to his disciple Philip, He who has seen me has seen the Father. That's why he could say to the Jews, I and my Father are one. And he wasn't just expressing to them the fact that they're both on the same page. That they think alike. That they believe alike. Jesus was declaring to them a, a, a statement that was profound. 
My Father and I are truly one. One in character, one in essence, one in purpose, one in spirit, one in mind, one in heart. Truly one. All that God the Father is, Jesus Christ is. The Bible teaches us that Jesus is fully God and fully man. And the word here, pleroma, means that he was completely God and completely man. But I want you to notice again, in verse 16, the Apostle John said, and of his fullness, or of his completeness, we have received, and grace for grace. Jesus Christ is the fullness or the completeness of the Godhead in bodily form. But what about you and what about me? What about those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ? The Apostle John says here, in speaking of the Christian, his fullness or his completeness we have received. We have all received. That's what it means to be saved. That's the mystery of salvation. But that's also the dynamic of salvation. All that Jesus is, when you became a Christian, when you confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, all that Jesus is came into being in your life. In John chapter 1 and verse 12, the apostle writes, As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name. To receive Jesus Christ is to trust in or to have faith in him for who he truly is. You're not saved because in your mind you believe that Jesus Christ lived 2,000 years ago. You're not saved because you believe in your mind certain facts about Jesus Christ, that he was a good teacher, that he was a prophet, that he was a religious man. You're not saved because you believe in your mind that he was martyred upon a cross by the Romans. That's not what belief really is. That's not, that's not what salvation really is. You have to receive Jesus Christ into your life for who he truly is. The Son of God, the Messiah that God has sent, the only Lord and Savior capable of forgiving you of sin and giving you eternal life in him. That's what it means to be saved. John goes on to say, in verse 12, that we need to believe. To all those who believe, they're saved. To believe in Jesus is the opposite of rejecting Jesus. To believe is to willingly, willingly accept him for who he is. To believe is to understand and to accept who Jesus Christ truly is. To receive is to appropriate that in your life by faith. They're the two sides of the same coin. So when a person is saved, he receives all that Jesus Christ is, living in him through the person of God's Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, verses 15 and 16, Jesus told his disciples, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. He will give you another helper. Paulos 
parakletos, one of the same kind. One of the same kind. He will give you the helper that he may be, that he may abide with you forever. So when you are saved, the Holy Spirit of God comes to indwell you. He comes into your mind and your heart and your spirit. And who is the Holy Spirit according to Jesus? He is Christ living in you. He is the alas Paraclatos. He is one of the same kind as Jesus Christ. I want you to turn to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Paul's letter to the Christians in Colossae. In verse 9, which we read just a few moments ago, but I want us to look at 9 and then verse 10. Notice what the Apostle Paul said here to the church at Colossae. Colossians 2.9, For in him that is in Christ Jesus dwells all the fullness, that is the completeness, of the Godhead bodily, of all that God is in human form. But notice in verse 10, And you are complete in him. You are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Get this. Jesus Christ was and is all that God is in human form. If you are a Christian, you have all of Jesus Christ living and dwelling in you through the person of the Holy Spirit. You don't have part of him. You don't have some of him. You don't have the aspects of him that you want. and You have all of him. You are complete in him. Nothing lacking. You get that? You understand that? Dear Christian friend, I know sometimes we think, well, you know, I'm struggling in life and I'm having problems in life and things are not clicking on all cylinders like they should and I continue to stub my spiritual toe every now and again and how come I just can't have more of the Holy Spirit in my life? Dear friends, you have all the Holy Spirit you're ever going to get. The question is, does he have all of you? Does he have all of you? Jesus did not come into your life the moment you were saved, his right leg or his right arm or his mind only. The fullness of Christ came to live in you and make you a, a whole individual, complete in him. You have all of him that you're ever going to get. The problem is we restrict him. We limit him. We only ring the bell for him when we need him. When a crisis comes, we'll call upon his name. And when the crisis is over, we'll stick him back in the closet. No. That's not a Christian's life. That's not what it means to live the Spirit-filled life. That's not what it means to walk in the Spirit. 
That's not what it means to, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. The Christian is made complete in Jesus, lacking nothing. Look with me to Ephesians. Turn left. You're in Colossians. Turn back one book to Ephesians chapter 3. And listen to the Apostle Paul as he kind of unpacks this concept to the Christians at Ephesus. Ephesians 3, verses 14 and following. For this reason, this is the Apostle Paul, Ephesians 3, 14. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, he would grant you the riches of his glory. Now, we could stay on that phrase for quite a while. The wealth of his glory. What is the glory of God? Those of you who have been with us on Bible study on Wednesday evening, what is the glory of God? Huh? It is all that he is as God. It's his deity. It's all that he is. His love, his grace, his mercy, his power, his wisdom, his strength. All that God is in all of his perfections. And notice what the Apostle Paul is saying to these Christians. I bow my knees to the Father. In other words, I pray that he would give you according to the riches of his glory. That he would reveal to you all that he is in you. You have all that Jesus Christ is living within you. And then he, then he spells it out. To be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. The word strengthened is to be encouraged. To be strengthened. Are you weak today? Is your faith weak today? Is Satan whipping up on you today? Do you feel like there is no hope for you in the future? Are you drowning in, in sin? Are you discouraged and ready to give up? God has placed within you, through Jesus Christ, in the presence of His Holy Spirit, strength to encourage you. To give you hope so that you might continue to live for Jesus Christ. That, and that's not just uh, all that he blesses you with. To be strengthened with him. Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. To increase your faith. You have all the Holy Spirit that you will ever have. But maybe your faith does need to be strengthened. Maybe you need to be increased in your faith. Maybe you're like the man who came to Jesus because his child was dying and, and Jesus uh, spoke the word and this man said, I believe, help thou my unbelief. We may believe in Jesus Christ for a few things or for some of the important things, but we need that kind of faith in Christ for the lesser things. Paul is saying you have that in Christ Jesus. Faith in the inner man. 
Then he goes on and says, being rooted and grounded in love. Rooted and grounded in love. This phrase talks about permanence. A tree that's rooted may or may not withstand a high wind. But a tree that is rooted and grounded, nothing can topple it over. It is secure in its permanence. And Paul is saying in Christ Jesus, he is praying that his followers would be rooted and grounded in love. You know, there are folks that you may not necessarily like. And I know for some of us, we have this saying, you know, well, you know, I only love you because Christ commands that I have to love you. I love you, but I may not like you. That's not the attitude of the Christian. The attitude of the Christian is to learn to love others as God has loved us. And that includes people who don't love you. That includes people who slight you. That includes people who irritate you. That includes people who rebuke you. That includes people who detest you. We are to love each other as God has loved us. And we do not love because God has commanded us to love. We love because God has loved us. And in that, we have learned to love one another. He goes on to say, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend, to understand with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness, that's the pleroma, the completeness of God. And that's our goal, is it not? Isn't that what the Apostle Paul said to the Christians in Rome? Those whom God foreknew, he predestined what? To be conformed to the image of Christ. And that simply means to live out all that Jesus Christ is living in you. To be conformed to the image of Christ is to be to others who Jesus Christ is to you. He is indwelling you with all the fullness of the Godhead and now he wants you to flesh that out in your relationship to other people. Finally, I want you to notice back again in John chapter 1. Back to John chapter 1 as we close out the prologue. The Apostle John says, And of the fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. Grace for grace. Well, Lord, I can't do all of that stuff. I can't love others like you've loved me. I mean, that was the confession of Peter, was it not? In John chapter 21, when Jesus came to Peter, the resurrected Lord confronted Peter, do you love me? And Peter basically said, Lord, I cannot love you. I do not love you like you love me. And that may be where you're at today. I don't love others like I ought to. I'm not walking in the spirit like I ought to. 
My eyes are not on Jesus as they ought to be. I get caught up in the things of the world. I allow my affections to run wild. I do not focus my attention on the truth of God. I'm not rooted and grounded in the bedrock of my, of, of my faith in Jesus Christ. I'm not what I should be as a Christian. Well, here's the answer to that. John says in verse 16, Not his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. It can also be translated grace upon grace. It can also be tra translated grace added to grace. But really what the Apostle John is trying to get across, that the Lord Jesus Christ has placed within you grace multiplied. Grace multiplied. Everything that John has revealed to us here in the prologue is grace upon grace. Look at verse 18. He gives you, through His grace, the opportunity to know the invisible God. Well, how do you know there is a God? Have you ever seen Him? Have you ever heard Him? Have you ever touched Him? How do you know there is a true and living God? Grace has opened my eyes to the true and living God. It is by God's grace that we know that He is. So we can know the invisible God. We can see Him. We can hear Him. We can experience Him in His Son, Jesus Christ. Every aspect of salvation is grace upon grace. His life, which is our light, our understanding. His truth, which exposes and dispels the lies of Satan. His power that makes us the child of God the indwelling Holy Spirit who is Christ in us. Our completeness in Him that carries us through life and on into eternal life. These are all grace upon grace. Grace added to grace. Like the manna in the wilderness that the children of Israel experienced on the way from Egypt to the promised land. Like the manna in the wilderness, each day they received that day's need. God extends to us grace each and every day sufficient for that day's need. Grace upon grace. Grace today for all that I will face today, grace tomorrow, if there should be a tomorrow, for all of the needs that there will be tomorrow. Grace multiplied, grace renewed, grace extended. God's loving favor, God's goodness shown toward us. It is the constant, abounding, abundant, overflowing, Love and mercy, power and strength, wisdom and joy that are His and that become ours as a gift through His grace. And these sustain us moment by moment, day by day, until He comes for us again. 
Julia Johnston said it this way, Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, freely bestowed on all who believe. You that are longing to see his face, will you this moment his grace received? Are you saved today? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today? Has God stirred in your spirit today, revealing to you that you are dead in trespasses and sins? And that unless you put faith and trust in Jesus Christ, those sins will condemn you to an eternity separated from God? Do you desire to know Jesus Christ, whom to know is life everlasting? Do you desire to be saved today? You can be saved. That's the promise that Scripture gives to us. Paul said that if you will confess with your lips the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But you must believe that he is who he truly is. And you must receive him. You must commit to him. You must appropriate his life in yours if you're to be saved. Stand with me as we pray. Father, now we wait upon you and your Holy Spirit to speak to the hearts of those whom you have prepared to commit their life to Jesus. And I would ask, Lord God, that you will embolden them to do that even now as we wait upon you. In Jesus Christ, I pray. David, come and lead us in a song. Pastor Powell and I will be here at the altar. If your heart's desire is to commit your life to Jesus Christ, we give you that opportunity even now as we sing. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.